Rise for the reading of God's holy word. We're in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Every word of it. Every word, Lord, the, 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 the words sometimes that, that often uplift us, the words that cut deep into our heart, the, the words that sometimes we have to really dig down deep and figure out what uh, they mean, Lord. And I pray that uh, you would do all of that this morning, God, with us. Father, we, we came here this morning to because we want to change, not just to hear a sermon or listen to worship, Lord. We came to change, Lord, and we ask that you do that in our lives, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please greet one another. Okay, just a, a couple more announcements uh, this morning. The week of October 4th is going to be our, what will we call it, uh, Jews for Jesus week, we'll call it. On uh, Wednesday that week, I'm going to be showing a video of a debate uh, between a prominent uh, Jewish <coughs> apologist with a rabbi. On Saturday, we will be... Uh, at uh, 12 noon, uh, Obed and Bimini Cohen from Jews for Jesus will be coming and giving a uh, seminar at Guillermo's house, among others, Guillermo and others' house, uh, regarding sort of evangelism, reaching out. Obed uh, is uh, from Israel. He's been with, uh, in the States, though, for 15 years. Uh, and that's their thing. That's what they do. They, they go out and, and, and share Christ uh, uh, with, with other Jews and uh, Jewish folks. And, um, but they're also just more generally, um, they're really good at that stuff. And we all need to learn more about it. And so there's going to be a lunch at 12 noon. Please uh, sign up for it in the back. Uh, if there's not a sign-up sheet, 
please make sure someone get it there by after the service because uh, we want to know um, how many folks will be showing up for lunch. They're going to be teaching for about an hour and a, hour and a half, and then uh, they're going to be going out. You don't have to go out if you don't want to. I think the most important thing is just to go there and see what they have to say. And then um, the following day on Sunday, uh, Garrett Smith, the director of Jews for Jesus, is going to be teaching here. He's going to be teaching on uh, Zechariah uh, in the Old Testament. And so just be praying about that uh, week. And, uh, and uh, I look forward to everyone participating uh, in just in the different things that are happening. So, okay. Uh, Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. Last week we were were in Matthew 7, verse 13. Matthew 7, verse 13. And here Jesus uh, is entering into the home stretch of the Sermon of the Mount. We've been in this sermon chapter by chapter, verse by verse for about four or five months, and uh, we have reminded ourselves, uh, or I have reminded you uh, virtually every Sunday, uh, that the sermon, the whole sermon, hinges on one verse, and that is Matthew 5, verse 20, which says this, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, after saying that, from Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 20, to Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus describes what that righteousness is. A righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And then he comes to Matthew 13, uh, rather Matthew 7, 13. And, and what Matthew 7, 13 is, is an altar call, what we would today call an altar call. Although, and don't take this the wrong way, he's not being quite so nice as we do our altar calls. Uh, He says, he tells the people this, okay, you've heard everything I've had to say, now listen, enter in. Enter the narrow gate. You've heard my words, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those uh, who mourn, blessed are the merciful. You've heard my words, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for those who... Uh, persecute you, do good to those who spitefully use you. You've heard my words, do not lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, do not worry, do not judge. Now, now that you know what a life in Christ is, now that I've told you what it means to have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, enter in. Enter the narrow gate. I have an uncle who, for years and years, has uh, he lives on the Cape, and he, he well, the Boston Symphony is in session. He comes in every single Friday, every Friday, like clockwork. He's there. It's one of the he loves it, and that's one of the great things about living in Boston is you get to do that kind of stuff. <coughs> Now, my uncle would be the first to tell you that he is merely a spectator. He's merely a spectator. When he goes to the Boston Symphony, he's never stood up, marched down, and grabbed a cello 
and started to play it. It's a good thing. He'd probably be arrested. Those things are worth about $300,000, a symphony cello. So uh, he'd probably be arrested. However, uh, that's the Boston Symphony, and, and that's a good thing he doesn't do that. But you know something? It's not a good thing. It's a tragic thing. When a person listens to the words of Jesus, and they listen to it like my uncle listens to a symphony. It's not a good thing when a person, just they're in church, or they're always in church, or they're, they, they, they're always turned on the radio at just that time that the, you know, a certain pastor's on it, and just like clockwork, they listen to it, uh, they enjoy it, they support it, maybe even financially, uh, they're inspired, sometimes they're invigorated, maybe even changed, but they never enter in. They never enter in. And sometimes, you know, Jesus in his ministry, he, he spoke in parables, which had to be interpreted. But other times he speaks in the most lucid, blunt, plain kind of way uh, so that no one can misunderstand. And that's what he does in Matthew 7, 13. Uh, is one of those times he, he knows the way that man is going and where he's leading. Uh, he, he loves man and woman. He desperately wants them to, to get off the way they're on and on the way with him. So he says the only thing a loving God, a loving father, a loving son would say under the circumstances, enter the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Now, we have, as we've said many times while we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon is not a list of things which you have to do to enter heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the merciful, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do not worry, do not judge. Those are not things you have to do to ensure your salvation. No, those are things you become, you become after you enter in the way with Jesus. Over time, with the life of God at work in you, believe it or not, those things will start manifesting themselves in your life. But first... You have to enter in. You have to enter in if you want these things to start uh, manifesting themselves in your life. And Matthew 7:13, it's the climax of the, serv uh, the sermon. It's the altar call. Jesus is standing at the gate, and he's giving an invitation to walk with him in the way, to enter into a relationship with him and follow him. And that is the context of Matthew 7:15 which is where we began this morning. Jesus begins the, word, the, the verse, Beware! I like the NIV. It says, Watch out! Watch out! What's going on here? Why is he telling us to watch out? It's a warning. He's warning you. He's warning me. <coughs> that there are others at the gate. The gate is their favorite place. They love this gate. 
And these others, they don't love you. They don't have your best in mind. And yet they're dead set on winning you over. Jesus calls them in verse 15 false prophets. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are like ravenous wolves. And Jesus, uh, he says these people appear to be perfectly decent, nice, concerned people, but they come in sheep's clothing. And, and Jesus says, he, he says really on the inside they're ravenous. And w what does that mean? It means ferocious, dangerous. It means to be avoided at all costs. It means to run away from. Eek. Who are these false prophets? Do they exist just in, you know, the Bible or do they exist today? Well, if you did a survey of false prophets in the Bible, you will find that false prophets are men who went around prophesying for the most part. This is what a false prophet was in the Bible. It's men who went around prophesying good things, good things. They were after an audience. They, they wanted to be well-liked, particularly by the rulers, uh, in the, the important people in uh, the land. and They wanted to be popular. So they usually told people whatever would make uh, them feel good about themselves. Second Timothy 4.3, speaking of people, of people who listen to false prophets, says this, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desire, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Listen to Jeremiah 23.16, describing a false prophet. This is actually God speaking through Jeremiah to the people. It says this, Do not listen to the word of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. I mean, that is a pretty strong statement. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of God. They continually say to you, the Lord has said you shall have peace. And to everyone according to the dictates of their own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Does it sound familiar to, to anyone? It's the same thing you hear today. It doesn't matter how you choose to live your life. God says he will give you peace. Do what you feel is right. Live the way your heart tells you to live. God loves you. He won't let evil come upon you. The Bible says that a, a pastor or a, or a secular teacher even, a professor at a college, who says that kind of message is a false prophet. And in verse 15, Jesus warns us, beware, watch out of false prophets. Now, once again, Jesus says in verse, he said in verse 13, he said, enter in, enter by the narrow gate with me. But in verse 15, he says, beware, watch out, because there are false prophets at the same gate, the gate that I'm standing at, and, and at the gate to, and this is the gate, it's the gate to eternity. This gate opens up into eternity, and there's another set of men and women sitting at this gate saying a different message. The road to life is a broad road, they say. Take the broad road. 
Don't take the narrow road. That road is miserable. That road is difficult. The broad road is easy. Everyone is on it. What do you mean only the, the narrow road leads to life? That is so judgmental. That is so unfair. That is religious bigotry. Each person who does what is right in his own heart will find his way to God. The narrow road is just one road to God. There are many ways to God. God loves everyone, and in the end, he lets everyone in. Take the broad road. Everyone has a light within. Everyone is good. Ministers who talk about human nature being evil and sinful are so condemning. They are trashing people's self-esteem. You're a good person. Take the broad road. Jesus says, watch out, because this false prophet is by all appearances a good person. Uh, he or she may be a loving father or mother, a faithful husband or wife, a good neighbor, neighbor courteous, respectful, helpful. And, and as we will see in verses 21 and 23, they may even be sincere. They may be well-meaning people. It says in verse 22 and 23, they stood at the, at the judgment seat saying, What, me? I meant their best for them. Jesus says, Watch out. Let's continue. Verses 16 through 20 says this, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. There's a principle in the Bible that people will be known by their fruit. In a parallel passage in Luke, Jesus says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. And, and we should, you know, we, we shouldn't go around living in condemnation, you know, wondering about necessarily all the time and feeling condemned about, you know, stuff that escapes from our mouths and this type of thing. But, but you know, we should be... We should, be, we should be strengthened by the grace of God. That's what, the, that's what the Bible says. However, you know, there is nothing wrong. In fact, it's very healthy to allow the Holy Spirit to examine the conduct and words that proceed from your heart and, and really reveal to you any bad fruit. Psalm 139 says this, Search me and know me and see if there is any evil way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's for our own safety, brothers and sisters. Let me ask you this. If someone took a big, juicy bite out of you, what would they taste? And when I say take a bite out of you, I, I, I'm not talking about the you which everybody sees when they come into church or something. You know, God bless you, brother. You just make my soul go into the heavenlies, you know. I'm not talking about that kind of you. I'm talking about the you that comes out in the secret place. The you that you are when you're caught unaware by something you don't like someone uh, that you come face to face with that you really don't care for, 
uh, or you know, you've had a huge problem with, or, or when someone presses one of your hot buttons, what do people taste when they take a bite out of that you? Is it like, mm, nasty, man. I thought you were giving me a bite of like the living water pear. You know, this is like a muddy water mango, you know. Uh, is that what happens? Now hear me, if God reveals to you some nasty tasting fruit that has been growing on your tree, the tree of you, don't go off and wallow in condemnation. Do what David did in Psalm 139. He cried out to God and said, uh, search me and know me, God, and, and see if there's any evil way in me. And then what did he say? And lead me on the way everlasting. It's that we always hear the first part of that uh, verse, but we never hear the last part. You know, when he does reveal it to us, cry out. God, lead me on the way everlasting. Obviously, I'm not doing very well. But the principle is this. Every tree is known by its fruit, the Bible says. And what is true of all men is certainly true of false prophets. Their message produces bad fruit. I know. I was a product of one. I grew up in a church with a pastor who was idolized by his church. The church loved the man. He was everyone's best friend. He showered praise on everyone, even me. I mean, I remember he and his wife used to, you know, get me over to do chores, you know, and, you know, odd jobs. And he used to say stuff like to his wife, like, oh, Steve's so popular, I can't believe he's taking time to be with us. I mean, he would say these things, and, you know, I was thinking, ooh, I like this guy, you know. And the thing is, that's what he told everyone, and, and listen carefully, that's exactly what his message was like in the pulpit every Sunday, every Sunday. No mention about sin, no mention about the need for a saving relationship with Christ, not even once, I will add, he used to preach that there was no such thing as hell. No good God would ever have a hell. If there was a hell, it was what heaven was going to be like for bad people, you know, this type of thing. And the church adored this man. They adored him. You know, the denomination I was in at the time rotated pastors about seven, every seven or eight years. And uh, when he left after seven or eight years to another assignment, this church was devastated. They never recovered, ever. This is... 25 years ago. Everyone had lost their best friend, or so they thought. But you know, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. You will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, within a couple years of being in that church, uh, which had a profound effect on me, by the way, I was a thorn. I was a thorn. I hadn't been picked from a good bush. I hadn't been picked from a grapevine. I was a thorn, and so were uh, many other kids my age who had been in the, uh, in the church. And, and I, in fact, I can't think of one who really uh, went on in that particular church system who wound up bearing a good fruit in their life. And, and you know why? We hadn't been given anything to hold on to. We, we had been told that the broad road led to life. 
And I ran with that one. Yeah, I found a life. It was a very destructive one. I discovered firsthand what Jesus said. Surprise, surprise. That the broad road does lead to destruction. And I paid a very heavy price for going down that road. Now, don't misunderstand me. It was my choice, 100% my responsibility, my fault before God. Me and me alone answers for me's sin. But someone pointed me there. That's why the Bible says teachers have a stricter judgment. Someone who I thought cared about me, someone who actually, I think, probably did care about me. I thank God for the men and women of God who came along in my life, who were faithful to the God's call, God's calling in their life, who uh, had the courage to stand by the gate and boldly declare the truth in my presence. You know, some of them were a little rough around the hedges. I remember the first man I ever heard the truth from was a Baptist pastor. This guy was a tough egg. I mean, you know, rock and roll was all evil. Alcohol was the devil's water. Dancing was forbidden even if you were married sort of deal. You know, he was that kind of guy. But I'd rather have some guy who's rough around the edges telling me the truth than a guy acting like he's my best friend telling me lies. The first time I heard that Baptist pastor teach, he taught, you know, man is a sinner. He's lost. He is separated from God, incapable of working his way into heaven. He must be born again. I knew, I knew right then. I knew it the first time I heard it, that it was the truth. Praise God. I thank God he was courageous enough to stand at the gate and, and simply say what Jesus said. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow and difficult is the road that leads to the abundant road, uh, life. Jesus is the road, the only way. Get off the road you're on and get on the road with him. You know, eventually because of that man's faithfulness uh, and his wife's faithfulness, I entered in. And I will be the first to tell you, yes, it has been a narrow road, and, and yes, sometimes it's a, a difficult one. You bump up into those narrow boundaries, and ouch, you know, you don't like it, right? But as we talked about last week, you know, the broad road has no boundaries, and that's just what makes it so destructive. The narrow road has boundaries, and they're there to protect me. And, and, and within, them, within that narrow road, I have discovered the rich, abundant life in Christ. I may not quite be a living water pear, but I'm not a muddy water mango anymore. You know, and I may, you know, I may not be as uh, prickly as I once was, but those thorns, they're a lot duller because of the grace of God. False prophets will be revealed by their bad fruit. Men and women of God will be revealed by their good fruit. Let's continue. Matthew 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to a multitude of people. If you remember back right before his sermon began in, Ma in Matthew 4:23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing the sick, and all kinds of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him. Chapter 5, verse 1, And seeing the multitude, he went on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them. He's talking to a multitude. Large crowds were following him. He was famous. That's what chapter 4, verse 24, Four, that's what chapter 4, verse 24 and 25 says. He, he actually became famous, and, and he had a multitude of people calling him Lord. Some of them were saying, Lord, Lord. And Jesus, is by, in Matthew 7, 21, he's finished his message, and he says, Not all of you who call me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father who is above. What is he saying? Jesus knew that many people listening to him were like symphony goers. They were like symphony goers. They were amazed at his teaching. In verse 28, actually, it, it, it says that. It says, and, the, and so when Jesus is entity saying, the people were astonished at his teaching, for he, he taught them as one having authority. The multitude saw in Jesus a man who loved them. Not only did he heal them, he stuck with them. He loved them. He gave them the words of eternal life. Uh, they loved to hear him. They loved to reflect on what he said. They loved to be in his presence. But then in, when they heard Jesus in Matthew 7, 13, uh, Jesus uh, gave an altar call, enter by the narrow gate. Many of them didn't answer. There was silence in their heart. Even though there may have been some sort of outward thing, there was a silence in their heart. They were willing to come to the starting line to hear him, but they would not enter in. Why? On Wednesdays, we're going through the book of Numbers. We're in Numbers. We just finished Numbers 11 about the mixed multitude who accompanied the children of Israel into the Exodus. And who were the mixed multitude? The mixed multitude were people who were living in Egypt at the time the Israelites left Egypt. They were not Jewish. They were a mix of other nationalities, part Egyptian, part national, other nationalities. Egypt was the melting part of the world. I mean, it happens whenever there's a prosperous country. Everyone goes there. All nations go there because, uh, you know, they dream about uh, being prosperous. And the mixed multitude were from those nations. They were not children of the covenant. They were not children of the promise. But what happened, and what happened is one morning they woke up and all of a sudden a million and a half people are leaving Egypt, these Israelites. And not only that, they carried with them the plunder of 
of Egypt, all the riches, the gold and the silver. You see, what had happened after all these plagues is that the Egyptians, basically what happened is they said, here, take our gold, take our silver, all our expensive uh, tapestries and, and things like that and leave. We don't want you anymore. We're, we're tired of these uh, plagues. And, and so, you know, this mixed multitude of non-Jewish people, uh, they, they're looking at this and they're like, hey, wait a second, wait for us. Wait for us. Obviously, you guys have the blessing of God, and, and, and we want some of that. And they packed their bags, and they went right through the Red Sea. But the problem is they weren't children of the promise. They went for the wrong reasons. And in Numbers 11, when they, things started getting lean, they were the first to complain. They got sick of what God was giving them. It's interesting how God was giving them manna just like everyone else. Uh, they got sick of the, uh, the manna that was miraculously appearing on the ground each morning, and they began to weep. And they said, who will give us meat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Apparently there were some Italians there, but... Uh, they never, what happened is that they had never left the broad road. They had been offered the narrow road and they had said, forget this. They still had a taste for Egypt that they were willing to act upon. They, 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 they you know, in Egypt the, Egypt, the, Egypt, the country, the nation, in the Bible, it represents the world. It represents the flesh, idolatry. And the Bible says the, the mixed multitude and the people who, who listened to their words yielded to their craving. They gave in to their lust. Now listen, I am sure that the mixed multitude, when they crossed through the Red Sea on the other side, they were praising the Lord with everyone else. They were saying, Lord, Lord, and they were singing and, and praising and, 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 and the whole deal. But the difference was this. He wasn't, God wasn't their Lord. Their Lord, their God, their idol was back in Egypt. And I'm not talking about a carved image. I'm talking about the meat, the fish, the melons, the garlic, life on the broad road. It was their idol. So in Matthew 7, Jesus says to the multitude of people, this multitude who had been healed by Jesus, touched by Jesus, they loved his words, they loved his countenance, they loved his presence. He says to them, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What is the will of the Father? Well, Jesus had just said it. That's why it's so important to read the Bible in context. That's why we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Jesus has just said what the will of the Father is. Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter in. Enter in. So that once you enter in, you will become all these things I just discussed in the sermon, poor in spirit, merciful, a peacemaker, one who loves his enemies, blesses those who curse him or her, blesses those who spitefully use them, a person who prays fast and gives not to be seen by men but to bless the heart of God, a person who does not lay up treasure in heaven, does not worry, does not judge. The Bible teaches that every person who enters in 
in one degree or another becomes that person. He who began a work in you will complete it. But Matthew 7, 21 says this. He's just laying out the plain old truth to the people who were in front of him. Uh, who would, you know, people, he's saying people who come to God, who come to church, who listen uh, to a message, and they go through an outward superficial cleansing, an outward, not an inward cleansing, they're not doing the will of the Father. They haven't entered in. The problem is this. You know, you can scrub yourself, your outer man, change all kinds of behavior, pray the sinner's prayer, change your dress, your behavior, even start calling Jesus Lord. You can scrub your outer man until you look like a prune. You can take a Brillo pad and even take off all your moles for good measure, you know. You know, completely scrubbed clean. But the, Jesus said, and he said it from the beginning of this sermon to the end, that, that the righteousness that God requires is not an external righteousness. It is the righteousness of a transformed heart, a righteousness that has resulted from a person who has come to an end of themselves and entered into a relationship with God's Son. A person who has received a supernatural cleaning by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what it means to be born again. Just calling Jesus Lord is not doing the will of God. It is not entering in. And persons who are deceived and they listen to the wrong person at the gate will wind up hearing the most terrible words that anyone could ever imagine hearing. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. You know, in case you haven't noticed, Matthew 7, 13 through 23, I mean, they are some seriously heavy sections of Scripture. You know, just preparing these lessons, I began to get a little self-conscious. You know, man, this is weighty stuff. How do I, like, lighten this up, you know? But, you know, you can't do it. You can't sugarcoat this stuff. Not these verses. And I was thinking, well, maybe next week we'll you know, teach on the Song of Solomon. No, not really. Uh, we will be finishing. Uh, we will be finishing the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount next week. But, you know, again, and I said this last week, I'm just so thankful for this the sobering message of God's Word. It just sobers me up. As I said last week, it's so easy to get intoxicated with our pride, with our own dreams, with our own plans, with our own agenda. You know, we play around with thoughts and lust. We feel, you know, feed certain habits and, and, pre and pretend that we're not so bad. And then we read God's Word and, it, and we say, Ugh, Lord, you're right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for always being faithful and setting me on the right path, on a, on a narrow path where I belong, where I love to be, where the abundant life is, where you are, Lord. Next week, we're going to be closing out the Sermon on the Mount and read about the life that is founded upon a rock. Now, that's an uplifting word if there ever was one, the rock which will withstand the most withering, relentless trial. 
the rock which will hold up to the whims, the uncertainties, and the cruelties of life, the rock where there is a security and peace that passes all understanding, a rock who is never going to lie to us, who's always going to tell us the truth, even the truth that's hard to receive, hard to tell. Jesus, the rock. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for this sobering message. Lord, we need it. We're the first to admit it, confess it, Lord, that we need your word. Even when it cuts, even when it's uncomfortable listening to it, God, we thank you that you love us, you care about us enough to be honest with us. And God, we need you. Lord Jesus, we need to be right by you on the road, on the narrow way. We thank you that we're never alone there, Lord. You're always there with us. We thank you that, God, as, as we're on this, this road, this path, we're walking on the rock. You're bearing the burden. If we allow you to, you're, you're, you are the rest, Lord. We thank you for that. And God, every one of us in here, Lord, wants, I know it's true for me, Lord, for every word of this sermon to come alive in our lives, Lord. We get discouraged when you reveal things in our lives that make it evident that we're not there yet, not even close. And Father, we just thank you for the, your promise that says you're going to complete the work that you have started in us. We love you, Father, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up.